0: layovers 0062 barcelona hi alex how are hi, you good tired but good yeah tired we were both in barcelona for mobile world congress which for those who don't know is probably the biggest mobile conference in the world so obviously the choice of the airport this week was pretty easy uh, barcelona but you alex did way more than just that airport this week didn't you
1: i did i i did something very foolish and uh decided to be in basically two places at once so I on Sunday night starting on Sunday night I did Gatwick Barcelona, Liverpool Isle of Man, Manchester, Barcelona Gatwick and I got back last night <laughs> which is uh, Wednesday night so yes uh, it was exhausting but I made all my tight connections and uh, you know it, it, it was kind of fun got to see uh, some different airports different air three different airlines three different uh, countries, three different aircraft types. Come Wait, on, you
0: just, you just did that for the challenge.
1: I do, absolutely. The people <laughs> like there, you know, you and I are, and probably a lot of the people that listen to this show are the rare breed of people who were like, okay, I, that, I, I see that as a challenge, not as a, uh, a nightmare.
0: Yeah, my trip was much less problematic. I just went through Zurich because I love Star Alliance. And that's and, and Zurich, which will be an airport we'll be covering in one of our upcoming episodes. This is one of my favorite airports. so I just got to hang out there for like three and then four hours layovers so that was pretty cool. So uh, moving on to the before we move on sorry to the uh, news of the week, I wanted to give two shout outs. The first is uh, one of our favorite websites, the designair.net. Uh, it's just started its own web uh, podcast. Yeah, Have you
1: listened I to have. it? I have. It's fantastic. It's it's exactly the quality and structure that I assumed it would be given the quality and structure of everything else they do. It's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's called The Aviator. It's gonna, going to be released once a month, every first of the month. So the first episode is available on iTunes and on their website. I'll put the link on layovers.to uh, um, here. Uh It's really, really well done. Gave us a lot of ideas. And so welcome, guys. It's uh, Ted and Johnny. So welcome, guys. And we're really uh, looking forward to listening to you. The second shout-out I wanted to make is closer to home because it's a shout-out to you, Alex. You've uh, just uh, released the first episode of your new travel show. It's a video travel show called Attaché. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about
1: this? Yeah, no, thank you. I'm just so happy to finally get this out in the open. It's something I've been working on for uh, about a year yeah yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh it's a it's a kind of new kind of travel show i was was sick of watching kind of hour-long programs aimed at tourists so i wanted to create a show that was much shorter online only and aimed at reasonably savvy frequent travelers and it gives you everything you need to know about a city assuming that you're not going to be there for very long so our pilot was in london that's up on youtube just search for attache london uh, we filmed L- uh, Dublin already and we filmed the show in Barcelona,
0: which I am. Oh yeah, I was there. I, was, I looked at some behind the scenes. <laughs> I, that was really cool.
1: <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. So take a look. Let me know what you think uh, and you know, I, it, suggest cities, ideas, tips. Uh, I, I'm all over that kind of stuff, but I'm delighted to have it out there.
0: Yeah, it's really, really well done. Congratulations. Thank you. I really no, enjoyed I, I it a lot. I mean, I, I, I mean, we worked together, so I was privy of this show for a long time, and I saw some of the early cuts from that first episode, and it, it's really, really, really cool. I enjoyed it, and I had already forwarded it to a lot of friends of mine. They all love it, so congrats. No, thanks, man. Uh, moving on to the news of the week, the aviation news of the week. Uh, you wanted to mention something from Iceland. First. Yeah, this, this is one of those things
1: that when I read the headline, I thought, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. You're disrupting. You're not going to disrupt anything. But these guys actually seem to be. So it's Iceland's Wow Air, which is a low-cost area, uh, carrier based out of Reykjavik. And they've just announced that they're going to do transatlantic routes. They've leased two A321s. And they're doing Reykjavik to Boston, Reykjavik to D.C. But the way they're marketing it is – Fly London to Boston, fly London to Washington, D.C., and vice versa. Uh, and they're starting Boston in March and um, D.C. in May. And I thought, okay, yeah, low cost, whatever. And I looked, just picked some random dates. And to do London-Boston round trip on WOW Air was 356 pounds and 36p all in. And I searched on kayak same date and the cheapest I could find, one stop was two hundred pounds more.
0: So, who was that? Was was it Iceland Air? Delta. Oh, <laughs> Delta. So, so
1: they. It, I was impressed. I was very surprised. That is a significant and substantial savings, and I think that they're going to market it in the US as a similar manner. That it's not get to Reykjavik; it's it's get to Europe. So, good for them. I I, I hope that they that they find success on a, on a very, very competitive uh, set of routes.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting because we've been talking, you and me, about the, uh, the possibility of having uh, a low-cost airline doing transatlantic flight. We mentioned that uh, Norwegian is still waiting for its license to be greenlit in the U.S., so it's not doing it yet. Uh, Ryanair has announced that it wants to do uh, low-cost uh, transatlantic flights within the next three years, uh they they say they're going to do it uh, through a different brand uh, probably because they want to set up a different operation to do it uh but i mean you know that's being uh, in iceland yeah you have this is just geography geography it's perfectly it's, it's positioned, nice, yeah, isn't it exactly uh this is why already iceland hair. i i have these kind of roots uh, roots as well uh, I've never taken them. They were always kind of cheaper than other airlines that uh, that uh, proposed this these transatlantic route. So you know, it's it's a first step in a good direction. I think we will see more and more uh, plans of trying to crack that nut and being able to do low cost on these routes. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're I think they're they're very clever the way they're marketing it because from it, right now from Reykjavik you can fly to. Paris, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, Dublin with those guys. So they're just going to continue to extend that route as they get more A321s.
0: Exactly. Uh, moving on to the news that was the news for all these past weeks is uh, still on You know, uh, the Gulf Airlines versus the US Airlines. Uh, just wanted, we don't want to ramble about this every single show, but there was an interesting thing that was done by Emirates. Uh, they released a report uh, about the, the size of the contribution of uh, all Emirates operations in Europe in terms of economic impact. Uh, and it said that uh, the airline operation added a windfall of almost 7 billion euros uh, within the European economy. So that's almost $8 billion. Uh, so it's obviously the they calculate as well the fact that they bought a lot of uh, planes from uh, Airbus, which is based in Europe. But it's an interesting way. We always said that out of the three airlines in the Middle East, Tim Clark, the CEO of uh, Emirates, is very smart. And I think, again, here, uh, whether or not you believe these numbers, whether or not, of course, we know it's part lobbying, obviously, to uh, to have such a report being coming out. Uh, but it's interesting to show a different aspect of it it's not only about the oh we offer these great products and experience and you can go to the rest of the world but it's also like oh you wanna we create jobs
1: yeah it's the it's the it's the classic job creation manifesto isn't it it's quite a powerful thing and it's a step outside of you know we offer this particular type of product and service but we're actually extending that benefit to economies local economies and, and and regional economies so sensible thing to for them to do to add to this ongoing and perpetual debate between the US airlines and and the Middle Eastern airlines
0: uh, also you you might have seen the uh, on facebook there's been lately a lot of facebook ads from emirates uh, especially for looking for staff both pilots and attendants uh it's, i'm not going to use i could use the term aggressive but it's not aggressive in a way that it's uh being aggressive in the way the content is. But I've seen really a lot of these ads popping up in my feed. So they seem to be suddenly ramping up the communication effort here as well to say, look, look, we have not only a great experience, uh, but we offer great jobs. Uh, They obviously mentioned the fact that living in Dubai is tax-free.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And they're doing other things like uh, putting out PR things about possibly removing some of the taxes and fees that are involved in flights to North America. So they have a broad and varied arsenal to attack this particular problem. Uh, and, and extremely deep pockets. Let's not forget. Yes. So I think this is this is an interesting development and a very sensible development when they start to appeal at the governmental level for for if it if, it, if this happens to go to that point, which I think it might.
0: Uh, in the US, uh, interestingly, because again, we know that sides are being formed. Boeing expressed support for open skies, so the Free Trade Agreement for Skies uh, thing. That, so it's interesting that the American manufacturer of planes would actually side, I mean, would not go against US airlines, but not far from it. Uh, well, it's in their the, the, interest really,
1: isn't it? Because if, Of course. You know, if, if you can sell <laughs> Singapore Airlines, you can fly London to San Francisco, then they're going to need more airplanes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's really uh, the FedEx. I think I don't know if I if I had mentioned that last week. Also, the uh, the, the, the 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 words are saying are pretty intense. They said the U.S. should not capitulate to the interests of a few careers who stand ready to put their narrow, protectionist interest ahead of the economic benefits that open skies provides. That's the chief executive of and FedEx,
1: he, and he's saying that about he's saying that about the big three U.S. airlines. So that's you're right. That is extremely aggressive and and not pulling any punches to a to a compatriot airline. Admirable. I mean, he's right. I think, in my opinion, he's 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 spot on.
0: Yeah, so we're seeing interesting dynamic. This this debate, What what is, I, I would say, the, the good outcome of that debate is that we're basically having that debate. And really, we're starting actually really, okay, what do we want uh, uh, for the airline industry? What kind of competition we want? What kind of dynamic we want? And I think it's really interesting to, to follow this story. I agree. Uh, moving on to uh, a new type of aircraft. Yes, yeah, so
1: last week, the... Bombardier CS300 had its very first flight successfully. Uh, finally. Finally. Yes, this is very true. It's been a long, delayed, and, and problem-plagued uh, program. But I got to watch it. I don't know if you were tracking it as well, Paul, on, on the Plane Finder app. Yeah, of course. And it had a, a successful, <laughs> smooth, easy four-and-a-half-hour flight uh, with no problems, which is always what we want when a new plane takes off. So you're right. This, this is This program has had a lot of issues. It's two years behind schedule. The the C-series in general. The smaller variant, the 110-seater, the CS100, is actually supposed to go into service uh, in just a few months. And then the CS300, which is bigger, uh, will go in between six and eight months later, according to Bombardier.
0: Yeah. yeah it's uh it's it's an interesting I mean it, uh, it was supposed to appear at Farnborough uh, last uh, year I did go but obviously it wasn't there because as you mentioned he went know, so many delays and it plagued with so many problems so I, I'm we can be pretty happy to that it finally gets there but do you think they have uh, a, an actual future with that plane it's, it's a risky Bet they are—they're betting the farm on this one because they're struggling
1: otherwise. They've stopped production of the new Learjet model because there was no demand for it. Um, although having stood on the ramp of, at Barcelona Airport yesterday, it certainly didn't seem like there were uh, there aren't many private jets flying around. We'll talk about that later at the end of the show. But holy cow!
0: Um, <laughs> I agree. But, but, I, but maybe maybe for those who don't know the, the these these series is because they're going. Uh, against basically the Airbus A320 and the Boeing 737 series with that fly, with that yeah, cr- sort of, aircraft, it, it sits in between the the
1: Embraer regional jets, the bigger the E175s and the E190s, which are I love, I think those are great airplanes. And as you say, the 73s in the A181920 um, models. So it's an interesting, and we talked, we've hinted at this either on the show or in conversation that you know where is this. Segment gonna go, and is it big enough to support a multi-billion-dollar aircraft development program?
0: Yeah, exactly. The there was a uh, Al Baker, the <laughs> the, C, the CEO, the very outspoken CEO CEO of Qatar Airways, uh, said that basically. Because they had an interest at some point into go, uh, acquiring some of these uh, airlines. And because of all the older problems, uh, I'll find the quote. I don't have it in front of me. But he basically said, oh, what? What is that? I forgot about this plane. Uh, Amazing, like, <laughs> he's really yeah, harsh, as yeah. <laughs> usual. But that's that's the risk. I mean, they're really going. They're suddenly entering into a fray that is the, the duopoly between Airbus and, and, and Boeing. And. Like you said, I think they're betting the farm. I hope they have some orders already. Yeah, they have about still tuning. very early. And,
1: and what's weird is that for a segment of the airline industry, uh, or aircraft industry, I suppose I should say, that has been so quiet for so long, there really hadn't been any development since the the Embraer regional jets. It suddenly just burst into life, and you've got. The Embraer jets and the new the E two versions, which are coming out soon, the new Kawasaki plane, the Mitsubishi regional jet, the Sukhoi Superjet, the Comac nine one nine. These are all the the yeah. arcut. They are yeah, they're all in the same same size. And all of a sudden, this this and no one could. I don't think anybody could have foreseen this ten years ago. So I would be surprised if all of these models survive even sort of past their first few years.
0: Yeah, and at some point the Chinese will come in full force. Yeah, well, as Co- well, Comac is is. Yeah, I know Comac is, but for the moment they're still very early in the game, and people are a bit looking at them like, uh you know, like they're looking at the car makers in China right now. people are a little bit like laughing, like, okay, well. We- do whatever you want to do and it's a similar situation as japan in the 60s where or maybe the 50s where the cars that toyota's and stuff. people are like yeah why? Well, i'll never buy those. and then suddenly you know there's a huge ramp up of the industry and you never know where it's gonna go yeah. i'm not i'm not telling you that comac will be uh on par with airbus and and boeing but surely you have the means and the will to try yeah uh back to the us with the southwest southwest airlines says this is Quite
1: disturbing news. They had to temporarily ground 128. And for other airlines, that's a substantial portion. But for Southwest, it's about 30% of their airplanes. Uh, because they had missed inspections, absolutely mandatory inspections, FAA-deemed uh, inspections. They'd missed them. They never carried them out. And so they had to ground 20% of their fleet. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they've they've gone and, and, uh, and performed the... The necessary inspections, of course, all was well. But the the wording of the statement was amusing, to say the least. It said Southwest Airlines discovered an overdue maintenance check required to be performed on the standby hydraulic system, which serves as a backup to the primary. So lots of like, we just happened to notice it because it sounds so <laughs> insignificant because it's a backup to a backup. <laughs> And they, were, but I think they got a reprieve from the from fa the FAA saying yeah you can the, fly, the, you can fly yeah, them the and the it done
0: yeah get it done you can you can keep flying them and get it done but it's true that it's a bit disturbing that they would just oops I forgot yeah
1: and yes. you wonder if that it would have ever been caught had the FAA not caught it I, I love Southwest I think they're a great airline they've done so much for the industry globally but this is not the first time they've had their wrist slaps for yeah I
0: was about to say that yeah exactly issues.
1: Um, it seems almost uh, endemic in the organization.
0: But if you, if you so, so the next piece of news is exactly about this as well. I mean, there was uh, the United Airline, uh, as, uh, a United Airlines issued a report that was got by, I think it was uh, ABC News, uh, which blames, uh, uh, which basically shows that there was a lot of issues in the past weeks. So it's, uh, it's a brutally honest Admirably bult, honest. That, that, that was sent to uh, the pilots, and they were apparently uh, following four incidents that involved uh, flight crew errors uh, that were classified as a major safety events and near misses. So that's also worrisome. And, and but the uh, I'll put the link. The actual report, the the, the bulletin, that safety report is really, really honest. They, it's it's actually pretty admirable that it
1: did. it. I agree. Some of, the, some of the details are, are quite disturbing, actually. Yes, it ref. <laughs> Um And I, I, you can't send a memo like this at an organization of United Sides and not expect it to get leaked. So, I, again, I think it shows admirable candor and, in a weird way, an enhanced commitment to safety, that they're being so um, open and transparent about these types of issues. Because when you do as many flights per day as they do, things happen. And as long as you can you know yeah. there's no, there's no disaster at the end of it you you analyze and you learn and you disseminate those learnings and you move on
0: yeah exactly and i and i think it's uh i i think it's a good sign i mean obviously like you said this report was probably leaked but at the same time i think maybe they knew that it would it would be leaked but i think it's actually uh uh, this is a good sign. Uh, the way they handled it is much better than the usual PR stuff that you can hear sometimes from, from the industry. So I uh, pretty uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, the biggest plane ever. How, <laughs> how are more people get, not you, talking you, you, about this? Uh, you'll have to explain me the purpose of that plane. We go on. Uh,
1: so this just stumbled up in, in an idle conversation, sort of 25 replies down in a thread I was reading, that in Mojave, in California – they are building what will be the world's largest airplane not just flying ever created yeah how, yep. how we're not going nuts over this collectively as a species is is unbelievable to me but <laughs> it's it's uh, there's a company called strato launch systems who are building uh pro, pro, platforms to launch satellites and rockets into space from uh from the ground so if you've seen spaceship 1 uh, and Virgin Galactic and all that stuff. It's just a massively scaled up version of that. It's being actually built by scaled composites who built Spaceship One, who built in, building all the space the uh, the Virgin Galactic rockets. But the scale of this airplane is staggering. Uh, a wingspan of three hundred and eighty five
0: feet. Yeah, that's one hundred and seventeen
1: meters. That's, yeah, so sixty five feet longer than uh, the Spruce Goose (laughs) and nearly a hundred feet longer than the the Antonov 225.
0: Exactly. It's it's insane. (laughs) So so in metrics, uh, so the the throttle launch is 117 meters, the Hughes is 97.5 and the Antonov is 88.4 as a reference a Nervis A380 is approximately 80 meters. So uh, it's really huge. Uh,
1: I love the the philosophy. I mean, Scaled Composites is one of the most extraordinary organizations that have ever participated in this industry. They they are so far out there in what they imagine that it's just, it's captivating really. Uh, But the way that they're putting this together, I love. It's kind of hacked together from parts, you know, of other things. Like the, the whole fuselage is, is composite, so it doesn't actually weigh that much. But it's going to have six engines, uh, <laughs> Pratt & Whitney engines, along with other parts, and I'm quoting from an article here, from two ex-United Airlines Boeing 747-400s. It's like they just went up and like, oh, we need one of those. It's just <laughs> a- <laughs> So it's, it's really pretty amazing. It's only going to weigh about 200,000 pounds. Which is without the engines, which is which is amazing, and to give you one more visualization of the size, picture a, an American football pitch, which is a hundred yards. If the plane was positioned on the fifty-yard line, the wingtips would hang over the goalposts by fifteen feet on each side.
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's well, that's really i i mean i hope i can see that yeah it's gonna gonna fly in a
1: year and for those of you that ever have the opportunity if you're ever in la mojave is about an hour 90 minute drive from la and it is just a sight to behold i strongly recommend you do it just don't do it in the summer
0: yeah yeah exactly the other uh yeah just quickly here the, the other plane if you like very large uh planes Solar Impulse, which is a, a solar airplane, which is also very big. It's uh, it's uh, not that big, obviously. It's. Uh It's uh, the the wingspan is probably is uh, bigger than a seven four seven, but slightly smaller than a three eighty. is in Is in the United Emirates um, right now, and it will start its uh, world tour very soon. That's also a very large aircraft to see. Uh, I've put some pictures on the blog a few weeks ago. I'll I'll put the link there. This is also a nice aircraft to see. Uh, Moving on to an aircraft we both love the 747 in a very short brief news. I read an article the other day, and I know that you love that, that plane as much as I yeah. do. And uh, the, um, the Museum of Flight has restored uh, the first ever 747. So the, that's the one that uh, got out of uh, the factories in 1968, to the original test library and everything. It's I really want to go to see so it. amazing.
1: So amazing. Yeah. 001. It's, it's so important to aviation and and the airline world in general that I the the, the there's a quote in this article that that Paul found where the uh, the chap who's sort of curating the entire project said he frowned no museum anywhere has ever faced a restoration product project of this magnitude
0: yeah it, it, all these guys that's the thing it's it's also a beauty in terms that these you know it's it's a museum so these guys were restoring uh, oral uh, People, passionate people trying to restore every single bit of that plane to its original state. Mm. It's, In the mo- yeah. I'll put the article, it's, it's amazing to read. Uh, you, can, you can see the dedication. And I'm sure that the result must be really amazing to witness.
1: Absolutely. I, I cannot wait. And I wish them well, and I hope they get the support financially and otherwise that they deserve.
0: Correct. Uh, moving on to the uh, innovation part of the show, we both were uh, at Mobile World Congress. So obviously, Mobile World Congress is not an airline conference, uh, an aviation conference. Sorry, so this is not where you're going to find uh, a lot of, of stuff about aviation. But we're still able to find a little, a few things uh, during the, the, the holes there. It's a huge, this huge massive conference. Uh, the one that really caught my eye is IBM. So IBM has been partnering with Apple uh so which is when you think about it, by itself pretty insane a few years you know, like 20 years ago these two were like big the biggest rivals and now they basically partner together. So IBM is uh, proposing uh, apps and uh, solutions for enterprise through iOS, so the Apple um, iPhone operating system. And uh, one of the uh, showcases and I went to the booth and I got a little demo, is an app that uh, that uh, can ease the way of uh, staff handling issues at the airport. So let's say you arrive, Alex, at the gates, because uh, uh, you have your crazy flights from, <laughs> from Barcelona to the Isle of Man, and you know suddenly you know the plane is delayed or you were too late, etc. What do they do? Usually, you know, they have to make phone calls, they have to find information, and within a single app, there they can actually do a lot of those. And that's that's really, really interesting. That's very cool. That's very cool. And I wonder if the, the request to do that
1: came from airlines or if it's something that IBM just came up with on their own.
0: So they, they, they say in the press release uh, that I read afterwards that one of the foundational clients for this initiative, the iOS mobile solution, is Air Canada. Oh, interesting. So I was thinking, they, they don't say that the app was made for Air Canada, nor that the app would be used by Air Canada, but I think it's a showcase app. Mm. But maybe, of course, there was a lot of input from from Air Canada, and uh, maybe they will even use it to trial it. I don't know, we'll, we'll learn pretty soon, but it's... Uh, It's really interesting to see how the efficiency uh, of an airport could be dealt with uh, with such an app. So that was one thing that we saw. Uh, Another thing that it was not on display at Mobile World Congress, but it's linked with it. I mean, you and me saw tons and tons of smartwatches. Yeah, they were all over the place. (laughs) <laughs> exactly most of them by the way let, let's be let's be brutally honest ourselves here there's nothing that really wowed us in that conference it seems everybody comes up with a yet another phone a yet another yeah there was uh, nothing uh, that was watch. like holy cow look at that yeah exactly that but there are stuff that happened behind the scenes and one of those is uh so uh, virgin atlantic uh is actually trialing um uh, starting a trial ethro uh with uh Wearable technologies to assist the staff. Uh, so to again, similar to what I just said about IBM, but this is more general for the entire the entire customer experience here. You can so if it's going paperless. Is being able to con- connect all the stuff together, the engineering, the maintenance, etc. So, and they do that with Sony. So that's a that's a pretty interesting uh, that's a pretty interesting development as well. Again, all these are trials. So We keep mentioning here trials. We talked about Google Glass from Shepal, I think it was last mm-hmm. week. We talked about. Uh, all, uh, I think I've written an article a few months ago about uh, JAL uh, tri- also trialing smartwatches in Haneda Airport in Japan. So all these are trials but it's interesting to see how these out Yeah
1: and kudos to everybody for for experimenting and trying you're never going to improve passenger experience unless you try things like this so admirable.
0: And and the, the last the last one uh, I met that was not at the conference itself but one of the networking events I met a Snowgrass. Snellgrass is is a founder of Wearable World so again uh talking about uh, wearables here uh it's a big uh, there's no name for it. It's an incubator, accelerator, everything you can think about in San Francisco. The, the interesting tidbit, though, is that they've done uh, a two-day hackathon with American Airlines. Uh, so they brought up a lot of people from American Airlines in their, in their uh, um, offices, uh, and they forced them to see what innovation could be about. And apparently, it was it was a big success. And since then, they're now starting working from San Francisco Airport. Uh, they're also working with other uh, airports and partners in the world now. And I, uh, I love the idea of having of putting people out from you know their usual office and the usual industry and say, okay, look, take a step back and try to understand it from another perspective. Yeah. And I think that that's a pretty interesting way of doing absolutely,
1: things. absolutely. I think we've got a, an exciting two years ahead of us in this space.
0: Talking about uh, keeping uh, the the smartwatch because that's uh, something you, you're about to uh, to introduce as a piece of news. Uh, we said in episode 004 that uh, Ryanair wanted to become a. A better airline for the passenger journey so you know from the moment you're in your hotel to the moment to arrive at the airport to you board the plane and you in-flight experience and then you leave uh, you you deplane and you leave the airport which you know coming from Ryanair which is obviously o- often linked to a very bad customer experience was, was a pretty bold statement and I, I had said back then that one of their IDs was actually uh, to, uh, you know, using smartwatches, and we kind of lofted it off a little bit, saying, okay, well, there's other stuff to, yeah. to do first. But you found something that proves that they're actually thinking Merch, brood. Yeah,
1: that they, they have a lot of catch-up to do. I think that they were late to the game on a lot of the digital stuff, and they admit that. So as you mentioned, they've embarked on this two-year or multi-year program called Always Getting Better, where they're looking at, improving without actually saying they're improving (laughs) the product from end to end so they're (laughs) they're actually doing everything from redesigning the inside of the airplane new uniforms better food but they're pushing digital hard they just released a new website about six months ago to a year ago and it's kind of been incrementally changing ever since but they did an event last week that that said we are going to be a mobile first digital airline and it was interesting the way they said it by the end and i'm quoting here by the end of 2015 we will be a mobile first airline and we aim to become europe's number one travel retail platform bold statement which just happens to specialize in flights so they are built it sounds like they're building an entire commerce and distribution platform for not just flights but but other things as well but when they went on to specifics it was like Okay, this nothing strikes me as hugely innovative here. So, a native app for iOS and Android by the end of March. Okay, uh, hold my fair. Well,
0: fa- then again, then again, finally, right? Ex- well, and
1: exactly, you know, I, you said you, you said it'd catch up Catching for, for part up. Of so, it. hold my fair features, fair comparison inter- integrated into the search results, which actually is is pretty cool. Uh, personalized website. It's a lot of stuff that's already done. You know. And then when
0: what, 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 what I like is that they uh in that same uh that same breath they also f- finally I would also say they, they, they're looking into expanding their relationships with the you know distribution the, and yeah. their, yeah, the distribution so that's interesting yeah
1: that helps that will help a lot uh, it's not easy to find a Ryanair flight on anything that's not just Ryanair.com um, but Good for that. I flew Ryanair two, twice in the last couple of days and it, it was fine. It was what I expected it to be. And my expectations were low and they met those expectations. So they were reasonably on time. It's obviously very safe. They're all brand new airplanes. So you get what you pay for.
0: No, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, th- there's something to be said. I mean, even though you and I have been sometimes a little bit, uh, you know, criticizing Ryanair, at the end of the day, it's. Uh, it's, it's also the airline that people, um, you know, love to hate. Yeah. But, uh, most of the time, it actually works. You know, the, the <laughs> stories that you hear are the stories of either the plane is delayed or the plane has a problem, and then there's no other plane to come catch you. But uh, let's be honest. I had these kind of problems with traditional airlines as
1: well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And I, although I have to say, I because they're a low-cost carrier, uh, you pay to pick your seat. Uh, Correct. And I wanted a window seat, as I always want a window seat. We'll actually talk about that a little bit later. So I booked my seat, I paid my extra money for my window seat, get on the airplane, sit down, and there's no freaking window, it's just a wall. I was like, this is the worst window seat ever. (laughs) I had to laugh, there's nothing I could do about it, it was 100% full (laughs) flight, but I was like, can I have my money back please?
0: <laughs> yeah, we will talk about in a, in a, in a few about you know the which seat you choose you should choose in you know, a plane, but yeah, well, that's oh, well, wow. that happened to me once. Uh, but uh, like yeah, well, so bad. <laughs> I talk here in the same breath a very short pieces of news. Uh, there's a startup called Options Away. So you just mentioned that Ryanair. We'll introduce a hold my fare. So hold my fare is you have probably have seen that in some websites, uh, some airlines provide that service. When you find a fare, I know Air France, for instance, does it. Uh, you find a fare and like, oh, I'm not sure I wanna I want to book yet, but okay, I'm gonna have I'm gonna pay a small fee and my fare will be held at that price mm-hmm. for 24 yeah, hours. Cathay so does sometimes- that as well. Yeah, it's an it's and the idea has always been interesting. Uh and what I liked about this startup that just got a new round of funding, and I'll put the link if for the people that are actually interested in, in, in that type of details, but is that they're Right now, this type of hold, uh, hold your fare, uh, solutions is made airline by airline, not airlines, uh, not all the airlines obviously offer this. They try to offer this like on a, for, on a very much wider level. Uh, and that's, I think it's, uh, it's, it, because they could, so they have already stricken, um, deals with HipMunk, uh, which was the app of the week a few, a few weeks ago and also Expedia and there. So they're trying to, to try to expand this experience of being able to have an option of, of single fare on a much wider level, it and looks awesome. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And this is exactly what startups can probably do, and the type of innovation they can offer, because we know the airline, the airline industry is is very difficult to work with. At, at Mobile World Congress, I also met some uh, uh, one uh, a mobile consulting company that works with German Wings in Lufthansa. And uh, while I'm not be able to reveal all the details from that conversation, uh, what it was really the the import the interesting tidbit is that they really struggle with all the legacy software that you know the airlines are are using, and you you have to adapt with something that you are a much more leaner, agile, modern type of software, and yeah. you try to have to all this to piece all this together. It's not always easy, which is why. You sometimes startups have a have a difficult time in this industry. Is uh, you cannot just like disrupt the entire industry because you just release a one piece of software. You have to interface so many legacy systems. Yeah, it's and not easy. You're, you're and, always
1: falling back on the weakest link or oldest link in the chain.
0: Talking about oldest link, the <laughs> the the passport. Yeah, <laughs> the good old analog I mean, good, good. paper passport. I mean, I don't think that's going to ever change. Uh, maybe I mean, I mean, I've seen that in Dubai, for instance. Now you can have your driver's license in, in on your mobile. So I don't know, but interesting. It's interestingly to enter the US, uh, you can. Uh, I think they started like a few months ago. I, I think it was last summer. Had written a, a bit on layovers that uh, you have an app on your phone, and this is how you can clear immigration much faster. Very cool. So you can basically. Tr- submit your passport information, and custom declaration via your smartphone, which, by the way, also has a selfie thing, so you can actually take a selfie, and that, that will be your the picture that will be put onto your application. <laughs> <laughs> so the first trial had started in uh, it was in Atlanta. Uh, it's it's obviously limited to U.S. U.S. citizens and and uh, uh, Canadian visitors uh, for the moment in single airport, and they just announced a second airport, which is uh, Miami. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's, I think that's a pretty interesting. So you have your dedicated uh, queue, so you don't go through the usual. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 a, that's pretty interesting. Uh, uh, pretty interesting uh, piece of uh, of innovation. Yeah. I think they want to go to expand to more than twenty airports. I will just say because if anybody from customs in US hears me uh, for border control in US hears me, you should do that for ESTA as well because you know we have to as uh, so ESTA is a waiver program. Uh, which I just have to fill out a, a piece of, of – uh, a few bits of information online and that grants me a two-year entry into the U.S., uh, I think I still ha- I still have to go to a normal queue mm-hmm. and I would actually love to be able to use that as well because since anyway, all the information is already digital because I filled it out, I would, great. Like to, would love to, <laughs> to, use, to use this as well. Uh, Starwood, Uber again? Yeah, so the – Two great travel companies,
1: uh, Uber and Starwood, who are have, are becoming fast becoming the go-to points uh, program in travel, not just in hotels. Now you can uh, you earn Starwood Preferred Guest points when you use Uber, so it's dollar for point or point for dollar, which is which is amazing, and uh, they're just cementing themselves as as. Where savvy travelers go. And they, because they've got all these wonderful dollar for dollar relationships with airlines. So you can, Correct. you can kind of go in through Starwood and go out through a redeem through a different airline. So it's, it, it's, it's really, really interesting. What I didn't know in this article is that at Uber's most recent round of funding, they're valued in equity and debt at $40 billion, which is the same as Delta. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh Isn't that extraordinary?
0: <laughs> Yes, it is
1: actually, but wow. it's very, very savvy of Uber to do this and partner with other peripheral companies, peripheral to them in the in the travel and airline space. So they did something last year where you can redeem American Airlines, um, pardon me, American Express points. You can redeem them for to get an Uber car, and vice versa. So they're just spreading their reach further and further and further. Very, very smart.
0: That's very smart indeed. Uh, I know that uh, already on on Google Maps. Uh, so if you're looking Google Maps on your phone, you have in some uh, cities you have the option to actually book an Uber directly there. Google Venture is an investor in Uber, I, I believe. So maybe that's why. But it's uh, they're really the expanding their reach very 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 Pretty quickly. Pretty uh, Talking about uh, Google, uh, we mentioned Google Flights. Uh, many times I think on this show and it finally got out of beta. Uh, so basically now anyone who's actually going on google.com, you know, on the top of the page you have news, images, etc. And you'll find flights. So now the the flights is actually officially part of Google, uh, of uh, yeah of, of Google the properties. The two interesting tidbits here. Uh ones is that we learn I learned through this that it's actually not making a money yet yeah, for isn't it? Google. That's that's very interesting. I, I think, honestly, the reason is that when Google bought ITA, I think it was four years ago or something, the Department of Justice in the U.S. put a lot of limitations on what Google could do because for antitrust, they didn't want Google to ditch all the customers of ITA in one go and just suddenly own the market. But there is a timeline for this. In October 2016, which is not that far when you think about mm-hmm. it, Google will have more free hands to do whatever they want. I think they're just waiting. They, you know, they did they taking their time, making a good product. And I believe that uh, starting in October 2016, we might see new things happening with them. Another tidbit that I learned this is was, you remember we both said that it was extremely fast. Unbelievably fast. We and actually it's because uh, Google is constantly pre-computing. All uh, the different well, if anybody routes. can do it, it's them. Yeah, they have the biggest cloud operation in the world. They have servers all around the world, so they can actually do that. It's constantly done. So obviously, when you do the query, your search results has already been computed. So wow. That's why it gives it to you like, in a, like a split second. It's, it's fast really, becoming it, the flight search of choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for me too, actually. yes yeah, still still some stuff you cannot find there. I mean, yeah, still some airlines are not there, but it's really, really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, Still talking about booking fares. We Hipmunk was uh, which we already mentioned today, but Hipmunk was our app of the weekend. We learned a trick. This is amazing. You, this you you found
1: this and sent it to me, and we both kind of started freaking out because when you find a great fare on Ita on the Matrix and you've done all kinds of manipulation, you put in your fares and your routes, and don't go via here, but do go via here, blah blah blah, and you've got it, and it's like super cheap and everything. You can't actually book. On the ITA Matrix software, you have to call the airline and walk them through the exact fare code that you want to be booked. And it's a laborious process. Well, it turns out that with a little bit of work, you can book those flights using HipMunk.
0: Yeah, that, and that's amazing. I didn't, you know, I've been using Hipmunk for all this time, and you know, there are two boxes, like in every booking fair sites. So, you know, you have the two and from and to, and you put either you put the name, uh, people like you and me would put their three letter er, um, airport code. But what I didn't know is that if you if you put an airport code and then you put two uh, two columns. You can actually start coding, coding a little bit like you do on... Uh, I will put the link, obviously, on the website, layovers.to, because it's hard to explain on the podcast. But you can do a lot of stuff. You can say, I want to travel via there. I want to... I want These are the airports I want to take layovers in. I mean, it's pretty... Inter- you cannot do everything the ITA does, obviously. But like you just said, Alex, you can now actually plan the route you wanted from the start. And that's really, really cool. So useful. Uh, Taking us back to the 80s, because for me, uh, when Alex submitted that piece of news that he's going to introduce you now, uh, an advanced supersonic helicopter, for me, was Airwolf. Do you remember that TV show? Of course I do. The greatest (laughs) theme song ever written. (laughs) So, yeah, just, just... Tell me, what what is that So thing?
1: I had no idea. This shows my ignorance in the helicopter space that Airbus made helicopters, and they have done for a long time. Uh, and I learned this when I was looking through a copy of Flight International last week. But they've just announced that they have made the world's first all-composite civil helicopter that will do 185 miles an hour at cruise in almost silence. And it is the most extraordinary aircraft i have ever seen now the reason why i probably didn't know about airbus helicopters is it because it used to be called eurocopter which i did know i just Go didn't ahead. know it was airbus so this this it not only does it look totally futuristic and airwolfy but the rotor blades have these sort of rakes at the end of them they're not just yeah, flat they yeah. look like like you know the grim reaper's sickle <laughs> and they really are amazing so it'll carry 12 passengers for about 120 miles Like I said, at 185 miles an hour, all glass cockpit, really just a a mesmerizing airplane. If you guys get a chance, read the article that we're going to post and watch the video because I've never seen anything like this thing.
0: Yeah, for me, the article really sounded like science fiction or something, because, you know, like, you know, the the blade vortex interaction with shaping, and you look at the blade of the helicopter, this is why, like, this is science fiction, this is the next, I don't know, Avengers movie or something.
1: (laughs) Really impressive, really impressive.
0: Uh, So, app of the week, uh, we were, uh, uh, you and me in in Barcelona, you showed me this, uh, which I didn't really know, I stumbled upon one time, so... When uh, I flew from London to Zurich, uh, there was a lot of weather disruption here in the UK. That was on Sunday, so my flight was pretty bumpy. That was okay, but... In Barcelona, we both left uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday. There was this huge disturbance of the weather. Uh, my flight was delayed. We were on the ground for a long time. And first of all, the plane didn't land; was not holding for uh, quite a while. Then we also waited on the tarmac before leaving, and the, the write up was really bumpy. And you showed me something this, that was pretty cool. This is
1: a, a website, and I think they have an app, but that certainly works fine on a mobile. That I've been using for 10 years called TurbulenceForecast.com. And it's basically a collection of aviation weather maps relating to turbulence. And for the US, it is extremely detailed. You can get advisories, you can get near real-time pilot reports of turbulence, um, turbulence potential, wind maps, blah, blah, blah. Here in Europe, we have some fantastic maps that showed turbulence potential from light, light to moderate, moderate to severe, uh and severe, color-coded across a map of Europe between 12 and 24 hours. So you can glance at a map and go, okay, uh, I can see that in this area it's gonna be a little bit bumpy. It doesn't guarantee turbulence. It's just an advisory between flight level two zero zero, which is twenty thousand feet and four five zero, which is Forty-five thousand feet but it can at least give you a sense of what's going to happen like i'm just looking at it right now and yeah still going out of barcelona it's going to be a little bit bumpy going over the pyrenees and then it's absolutely smooth as silk going uh for the rest of the ride up to up to london but it's really kind of fun to play with another s- section that they have are the eastbound and westbound transatlantic tracks so if you're not familiar with the way that planes go at go across the Atlantic. They ha- Because there's no radar coverage, they have to stick to very predefined routes uh, across the Atlantic. They don't deviate from them at all. And so you can see on, this, on these maps the various tracks and areas for potential turbulence and where the jet streams are. So you can get a sense pretty quickly if you're going to have a smooth ride, a rough ride, a fast ride, or a slow ride. It's, it's fun to glance at. It's not gospel, but it's something that I, I get a kick out of looking at.
0: Yeah, which now we will start doing. Actually, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's
0: good. Don't let it. it <laughs> no, it's really yeah. honestly, it's really, it's really good. Uh, I really and it really actually shows you information, like, as you say. It's not gospel, but it's it's uh, it's a really nice trick to have. You just mentioned uh, the absence of radar coverage across the Atlantic. So the next uh, the, the 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 topic of the week. It's a bit of a sad topic of the week. It's one of the biggest mysteries in the airline industry. So it's almost a year ago now. Day to day was March eighth. That MH three seventy the air so the Malaysian airline disappeared completely, and we still don't know where the plane is. Uh, So we figured we will talk a little bit about this uh, today. There's a lot of theories because obviously, when suddenly a plane disappears and never shows up again, you're starting to like create all these, you know what really happened was it hijacked did he just crash was it you know some people go tell us that it was intercepted by any other country we just don't know it's right? it's
1: it really is unbelievable uh, isn't it that we it's been missing for a year and we have found nothing not a single shred of anything no debris no life jacket know nothing in a year
0: and and yeah and, and the car and the, the actual search even though now of course is not in the headlines as much as it used to the, the search is one is huge it's massive they've been searching an area that is so big and it's looking for you know a little in a haystack and we have absolutely no clue so the first thing we might say is that of course when the, the, the plane disappeared from radar that's the problem, and this comes back to what you just said about the absence of radar coverage. There's no radar coverage, so you don't know where it is. And then the second problem, of course, is that there's no life yet. And we'll go to that in a little bit. There's no live tracking of aircrafts. So there was really no way to know where it was. Uh, on top of that, you add the fact that there were Let's be honest here. The Malaysian authorities were not really good at handling all this, so that created a lot of distrust uh, about where what, well, where they're telling everything or not. Uh, where the military actually telling everything or not? Nobody knew. Then so, so for, there was a long time, and you people, you do remember pretty much all of you. There was a long time where for the first two three weeks, people were completely confused. Uh, and then Inmarsat came into play and uh, they they do to make it if you want to explain it more but i don't want to take too much time today but they have a system, via pings they were able to say that the plane can be and that's very broad from kazakhstan to the north to basically australia to the yeah. south <laughs> but but on a actually in a limited range which which has uh, the form of a the form of a, a circle so uh, and and that's where they started looking but still there's Absolutely not, nothing after a year, after absolutely nothing. what Do you think they will end up find, finding that plane?
1: I I initially thought that, yes, they will find it. But now, as every day goes by, I just I don't think that they will. I don't think that they will. If it crashed into the ocean in any capacity, for whatever reason, uh, it's a needle in a haystack, in a stack of needles in a haystack. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's the, just the, the sheer volumes of, of, of area that have to be covered are quite extraordinary that I just don't think it's going to do it. And, I, and the worst part is, is you know, you, you say about the MRSAT pings, which are really the kind of thread that's holding all of these theories together. The, the, the pings have no data in them. Some of them were spurious pings to begin with. And as you said, the Malaysian government wasn't exactly forthcoming with the uh, the data as available, and didn't release the raw data for weeks after the after the incident had happened. So I, I don't know. And, and as you say, all of these strange theories have come out. In
0: in yeah, the, the last the last one I will put maybe the article the last one is obviously again coming back to the hijack possibility, uh, because this uh, I don't remember the name of that person, but there's this author said that you know. On 777s, you can access a special bay. We could have then actually kind of... Uh, Faked yeah, the pings, of, yeah. Yeah, fake the pings. So basically, the, the, the aircraft, you know, people would have believed it was going south, but actually it was going north. I mean, but that's the thing. When you have... And I'm not saying he's wrong. I have really literally absolutely no clue. But the point is that when you have Malaysian authorities that were not forthcoming, Malaysian airlines that really was not that great in handling the situation, they even texted the people to say, oh, you know what? We lost yeah. the plane, right? That's not very good. So you have all this. Plus you have so uh, it's seemingly authorities that uh, were uh, putting out contractory contract- uh, messages at the beginning. Uh, even, even, you know, the uh the, the chief commissioner of the uh the Australian Transfer Safety Board uh because probably he was actually limited to what he could say uh because of, of you know of, of regulations, mm. the way he said things that all this is a fertile ground for conspiracy theories. So now, of course, some people will tell you that you know the Russians got it. Some other people will tell you that the CIA shut it down. Some people will tell you that aliens got it. Some people will tell you that it was actually hijacked, but it turned out wrong. Some other people that said the pilot uh, tried to hijack, but then it was something. And maybe it's just the pilots were just incapacitated, and the plane just crashed its own crash after you know running out right. of fuel. That's the thing. It will nobody know. So maybe we can, uh, unless you want to add something, we can maybe think. How can we, do you think that the industry will ever go into something uh, tracking planes? Yeah, I'm I'm sure that they will. I'm sure that they will because I think that
1: this incident has highlighted the need for it, or at least the opportunity for it. But it will be the same with all cases of aviation innovation. It's great to have and the the rich, advanced, new airplane type carriers will all have it implemented there will be a whole market of technology and products and infrastructure that will facilitate these every fifteen minute pings or real time tracking. But it's the you know the thirty five year old A three hundred cargo plane or seven twenty seven that's running you know in in sub Saharan Africa that's in an accident that won't have that, and the airline that owns it won't have the right. ability to or the or the financial means to install it. So, but that said. If one airplane has it, it's better than none. So I, I, I hope it's something that 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 gets done. Uh, with, with regard to this theor- to all of these theories, some of them are pretty friggin' crazy.
0: <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, it's like you look at these pictures and people suddenly, you know, they oh, this they, they, they spot us of uh, some kind of uh, uh, abandoned. Piece of land in the middle of nowhere, like in in ex-USSR uh, republic, and they say, "Look, the plane must have been here for a while." And you're like, "It's impossible." Yeah,
1: yeah there, yeah, that that, that that chap said it landed in a on an abandoned aerodrome in, in Kazakhstan, and the Russians were involved. It's it's quite
0: extraordinary. But- but coming back to tracking, it's true that, uh, so let's not forget, it's not the first time there were calls for live uh, tracking. There was being, uh, when Air France uh, flight 447 crashed into the Atlantic Ocean from Rio to Paris, uh, even though we we knew there pretty much close more, more closely where it could have been, it also took a, few, uh, a, a little bit of time to find it. And uh, the IATA decided to launch uh, a, a task force about looking into uh, into this back then. And we're talking 2009. So it's been already uh, more than six years now that they've been looking at it. But as you say, the issue is that not all airlines can move at the same yeah. speed when it comes to uh, technology. So these, it seems like you kind of hinted at it the, the middle way right now would to have a system that brings a ping every 15 minutes because that would not be too costly there are there are, there are some people saying it would just add two dollars uh uh to the cost of a long distance flight so that's not that much uh there's this apparently there's one solution that they would be looking at to be honest the other when you think about it, there's two things here there's one thing is the location of the plane and the other thing is the actual data sent by the plane and that's another thing that could be done which also will cost a lot yeah. of money which is to say not only i get oh where are the plane but i also get you know what the black yeah. box is not actually in the black box in the cloud if the data is live is live streamed directly
1: yeah. oh and there's that there's a you know a load of middle ground there so you you'd be getting live streaming of cockpit voice and everything like that but also critical instrument readouts whether the autopilot is engaged things like that which would have helped solve those problems and 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 many other plane crashes which are ultimately solved but sol- they can help them solve them a lot faster i mean we're still not sure what brought down that air asia plane which is which was cra- crashed several months ago mm-hmm. we're still they have the black boxes i'm sure they're going to come up with a report pretty soon but again that type of information and, and, and data would be would be so valuable to accident investigators
0: yeah and and, and even uh, even if some of these plans are adopted in terms either of life tracking or uh, just a location or both uh, so sorry that data streaming or life tracking uh, it might be that because of what you just said uh, not only of course, the most rich airlines will be able to do it, but also there might be uh, regulations as only the upcoming airlines will have it. There's no won't, won't be any retrofit, so it will take yeah. forever to actually replace to have that system put in place. The only airline that has a uh, currently uh, live tracking is Qatar Airways. Uh, so uh, again, we just talked about the like, airline. has a lot of money. They they started to to they started to put uh, monitoring systems monitoring in their planes. They don't exactly say who's who's doing it, in which planes. I think they're testing it. Is that only PR or not? I don't know. But, you know, it shows that, you know, Qatar Airways can do it. Probably, like you said, a small airline in the middle of of nowhere cannot. And and others, if they're not forced to, I'm not sure that Ryanair, I, can, I don't want to bash Ryanair, but the business model is, look, you know, we want you, the, the, the margins of the airline industry are already so thin. So unless I'm forced to actually do it, I'm not exactly, going to do exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. And I... I think there, we should
1: be very clear about this. It is so rare and unusual and bizarre to lose an airplane that,
0: uh, absolutely it, I mean, it's, yeah.
1: it's, it's, it borders lines on the supernatural. It just does not happen. Given the scale and sheer amount of daily movements around the world, these incidents are so rare you can understand why some airline executives are, are like, yeah, but this doesn't happen. And it ha- it is happening less and less as years go by. Uh, so it's a difficult debate. It's a really difficult debate.
0: Uh, I would say I, I, I'm not a specialist, but I met a startup at Mobile Bubble Congress that does a new type of passive uh, trackers, uh, very long range, uh passive trackers it's, it's extremely interesting i'll find the name of the company you can you can passive tracking of, anyone, and, of planes no of uh, everything so it's just a little device that is that it's which battery lasts for one year so there's no there's very low frequency it's using a frequency that is free to use uh but that was normally used for a short you know like your you car keys you know, when you, you if you press on the button and it opens, it opens your car. These same type of frequencies. Uh, this this startup was able, and they're really well funded now. But the startup was able to transform the short range into something very long range, uh, and suddenly you need only a few antennas to actually cover an entire country like France. Because the company started in France, you know what, near Toulouse, which of course is very close to Airbus. So uh, this is why I mentioned to these guys: I said, what about? airplane tracking could you just add this on an airplane it will be passive that so there's no like real streaming of data and stuff but since it's, it uses a satellite system that that these are the kind of solutions wow. that could be very cheap in a way to implement while still allowing some kind of tracking but then again let's not forget it even if we knew when the plane crashed then, and that was the, the thing with Air France, uh, Flight 447. Then, you know, the oceans, you know, there's like currents and stuff. And it takes forever to actually even get the, the the black box, to even get, you know, the passengers and to find the debris. And on the case of Air France, it was even very, deep, very yeah. deep. So, you know, it's not going to, like, I agree with you. It's not going to solve everything. There's kind of uh, people think like, they you know, of course we talk about disasters because they're very, you know, they touch us deeply because, you know, it's like suddenly in a single accident, 300 people disappear or die. But at the same time, like Lou said, it happens very, very so rarely. And I understand why the population and travelers would like to have first a a closure and say, oh, we want to know what happened, but also that they would like to have some kind of light tracking. But it doesn't actually... Does it make sense? I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to give a definite answer. But unless it's cheap, I don't think it will happen anytime soon. So, so the question of the week uh, comes from your wife.
1: It does. Yeah, <laughs> she, she asked me this the other day. And I thought it was such a good question for discussion, because it's something that everybody has a very strong opinion on. And it is simply window, middle or aisle. And why?
0: <laughs> well, how do we answer that?
1: <laughs> well, what do you ch- I mean, what, what's your
0: what's your seat of choice? uh well a window really if i I can if i can get a window i prefer a window overall i mean you know what they say they say the people that choose a seat on the window are the dreamers the people that want the experience and because maybe i love flying i want the experience the people that choose ale are the get things done people because they want to work Uh, i don't i don't think i absolutely agree with that because when you're on the ale you People, especially in long haul flights, people want to, you know, you just step out and you have to keep moving out, which is what actually bothers me the most. Because as a tall person, I'm, I'm 6'4, 195 centimeters. Uh, it's true that the ale uh, allows me an economy to stretch my legs, which usually the, um, the window doesn't. Yeah, that's, then I that's g-
1: why I thought you might be an aisle guy.
0: I'm an emergency exit guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, window, without. I uh, see. Yeah, not even a thing. Like, <laughs> mainly because I like to be able to look out of it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So. I mean, it's you know that's a point. We're flying for God's sakes. We're 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 thousand yeah. feet. You know, above exactly the, the things that you get to see up there, are amazing. I I absolutely one hundred percent aisle. Um, and I guess there's always that there's the etiquette, isn't there? There's the ar- the armrest etiquette, which I understand oh, wow. goes the the person in the window gets the view. Person in the aisle gets the access, and the person in the middle gets the armrest. Which you know what? Fair enough.
0: Yeah, it's actually absolutely right. Fair enough. I, I would say, I would say though that before you fly, if you want to ch- choose a seat, there's two things. First, more and more airlines are intru- introducing a, p- a tiered system of pricing because they want to, of course, make money, which means that. The middle seat, which is usually the one that no one wants to choose on purpose, will be the cheapest one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they will actually ask you to pay a premium for window and or ale. And, of course, emergency exits even more sometimes and the bulkhead even more, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have a choice, of course, try to avoid the middle seat because it's never really, honestly. I've done a uh, Beijing-Frankfurt, I think it was. No, Beijing-Amsterdam almost 10 years ago. In a middle seat of a seven four seven, me my height in economy—that was one of the worst nightmare ever. trust oh, me.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: But at that time, what I didn't do, which I do now, I go on Seat Guru, for instance, which provides you with a lot of you know layouts of planes, and you can actually have a better decision because you know it doesn't mean anything because sometimes seats are like you know three two three 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 two two. And it depends on the layout of the plane, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It, it really does. And SeekGuru.com is such a great resource. It's in, in fact, if I had consulted them before my Ryanair flight, I would have known that there was no window <laughs> on my quote unquote window seat. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a window seat. I, I know it takes a little bit longer to get off the plane, but it's very rare that I'm in a hurry. And if I am, yeah, I plus- accordingly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like for instance, last night I wanted to get out of the plane because I came to, from Zurich to Etho, and I wanted to get as fast as I could out. So, ale for that one, so I could get out. But then again, uh, uh, let's be honest, the difference here is also like minimal. Yeah. Even, even if you're in a hurry, you have a lot of passengers in front of you, so that that will not change, uh change a lot, right? So, um it's at the end of the day. Uh, just try to be smart about it, like you just said. For people who ask that, I don't know your preference, but there are tools around just to actually make a an informed decision.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the, your first port of call should always be secure.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm tall. Uh, oh yeah, story for yesterday was in that flight. The guy behind me, a window seat. Uh, he was, uh, believe it or not, 6'10". Whoa. <laughs> yeah, 6'10". And I told the guy, like, look, you should just try to get a emergency exit. And say, oh, how do I do that? I'm like, really? You don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, but, wow. So, it's uh, yeah. So, for tall people, it's true that ale in general, is better. On long golf flights, sometimes I would choose ale just for the fact that just I can the- stretch my legs. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. Well, then I get the cart. On my toes all the oh, time.
1: Oh yeah, or are you knocking your elbow? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, anyway, um, Barcelona. So that was the airport of the week because obviously uh, that's where we were both this week. Was it your first time there? It was. I enjoyed it. Well, I went twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, in both on both accounts, uh, there's two terminals. Terminal one, which is the newest one, was built in around two thousand nine. Terminal two, which used to be the terminal one anyway, which was built for the Olympics in ninety two. So the terminal two is the one where you have most of the low cost airlines. So is that where you flew? Because I think you flew. Um, Iberia, uh,
1: no, yeah, yeah, Easy and Ryanair. So that they were both out of Terminal two, uh, correct. Which is a strange, strange terminal because large portions of it seem to be unused.
0: Exactly, empty. Uh, so that's what happened after when they opened Terminal One, they transferred obviously all the flights to Terminal One. Then Terminal Two, what they tried to do is they lowered the fees for to attract low cost airlines there, mm-hmm. uh, but Two A is empty.
1: Yeah, it's a very strange. So yeah, there's 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 segments and sections of Terminal Two. Um, but yeah, it, it was very odd. It seemed strange. I mean, it's a, it's a good airport. It's a very easy, fast, well-lit, beautiful views, organized airport. Uh, and the incredible thing about this airport is that there are multiple ways to get into the center of Barcelona from the airport, because it's only 12 kilometers from, from town. Uh, so there's a train, which is like, I think it's 4, four euros 90, takes about 25 minutes Uh, There is a thing called the Aerobus, which is 5 euros and takes 30 minutes. Uh, It takes – they leave every 10 minutes, but it's air conditioned. It's got free Wi-Fi. It's a pretty good way. And then taxi, obviously, which is – well – it's supposed to take 20 minutes, but during Mobile World Congress, it definitely takes a lot longer than that.
0: <laughs> well, well, this is not a benchmark. I mean, you arrive at Mobile Congress, and they they take over all the the entire airport. Even there's even batch registration, which is clearly a part of the airport, but usually it's just a checking counter. Yeah. So this is a bit, you know, a different airport.
1: Yeah. So it is. It is pretty easy to get into town. Uh, taxi is going to cost like. 25 to 35 euros and all the taxi drivers i interacted with were so nice and interesting and chatty
0: yeah i mean it's 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 a pretty modern airport actually that's what they're looking they they're really trying to do if you if you ask them they're really trying to become one of the most efficient airport in europe they want a I have plans, so which is strange because I flew from Terminal One. Uh, this is the one I know the most uh, because every year I go to Mobile Congress, is where I flew, for, uh, fly from. It's currently there's some um, work going on, so it's not perfect. But I mean, it's a good, honestly, it's a good airport. There's even like you can even go outside, which is rare. I know when I say oh, it's outside, it's not just a, a, a small balcony. There's a place because you know the weather is good, so you can actually hang out outside while waiting for your flight, Fantastic. which I pretty much like uh, about about it. But they're they're build, they want to build another uh, a satellite terminal so that currently there are the 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 airport is as around 37 38 million passengers capacity i think is at around 50 but they want to increase capacity at 70. Wow. <laughs> uh, i don't know uh, maybe these some of the of these plans were made before the crisis but anyway it's a pretty efficient airport one pizza one bit of uh trivia one of the world's busiest routes was from Barcelona at some point. So the Barcelona-Madrid, uh, which is called Puente Aéreo, which means the air bridge, basically, right, mm-hmm. it was one of the busiest routes. And then the high-speed train, train was introduced, and you know, ate that cake. So yeah. It's not anymore, <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty, pretty pretty nice airport. Uh, if you guys can avoid it during Mobile World Congress, do so because it's a of a nightmare during that time. It, it has a capacity. When I say nightmare, it's not too much of it, but it seems that, you know, like I, the, the funniest bit was last year. I was trying to get into the lounge, the one of the business lounge, and since it's Mobile Congress, everybody has access to the business lounge. And basically, the airport was not full, but the business lounge was completely crowded. And you're like, why would you stay in a business lounge because it's crowded? You know, it's just... ah, well. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway. Well,
1: so I I had two observations about that airport when I was there. Uh, One, there were so many private jets in for MWC that they ran out of parking space at the, where they traditionally park and they were parking them at airline gates. So you would walk past where, you know, an easy jet plane, Orion airplane, and there'd be like these four or five state of the art $50 million G550 planes next to them as well. It was pretty incongruous. <laughs> um, and the other thing was at terminal one taxiing by it and taking off last night, it's absolutely overflowing with brand new Vueling Airbuses. But mm-hmm. Iberia was conspicuous in its absence, which I thought was really telling of the state of the Spanish aviation market.
0: Yeah, Vueling is really taking... I think it's one of the hubs for them, if not the main hub, uh, Barcelona Airport. And yeah. it's true that... Uh, actually, it's, it's to this day, some some flights you would think you're flying BA or Iberia, and you end up in the Vueling, actually. Yeah. So they're, they're really pushing for that. I mean, this is be the topic for another show we'll talk about these how the traditional airlines and flag carriers in europe are pushing their low-cost uh, airlines uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it one of these days on this alex thank you thank you we wrap it up what a fun episode yes so guys uh we see you next week thank you for listening bye-bye bye alex Bye. take care